Hey, when we won our first Super Bowl in Pasadena, there was no cell phones back then. I lost track of all my teammates and my family. I was by myself again after that game. I mean, I think, what the heck is going on here? Well, welcome to the first ever episode of Beyond the X's and O's. I'm Trent Dilfer. If you don't know much about me, I played 14 years in the NFL as a quarterback. I was okay. I would say at best, (laughs) I had my ups and downs, but I love the quarterback position. I I believe I've probably studied it as hard as any human on the planet. Now, don't hear me wrong here. I'm not saying I know more. I just think I've studied it harder. When I left football, I went to ESPN and I was a broadcaster for nine years. And guess what I talked about and studied? The quarterback position. Now, uh, my journey's taken me to become a head football coach at a high school program in Nashville, Tennessee, Lipscomb Academy. Uh, We're building a little giant here in Nashville. Uh, But guess what? I got a bunch of great quarterbacks on this roster, and I still am studying quarterback. Now, hear me correctly here. I love the position more than just because you get to throw the ball and you get to play in cool offenses and because you're the star. I love the journey of the position. Now I'm old enough, 49 years old. I know I look 55, but I'm 49 years old. I look at how the journey of the quarterback, there's so many lessons to be learned from it. I know personally I can look back at my career and go, you know what? I had a lot of pain in my career. But that pain's been been repurposed into passion. And now I can see my quarterback journey, 14 years as a player in the NFL, nine years talking about on ESPN. uh, And I've repurposed that into a passion to give my knowledge back to young football players. One, so they can be better football players. Two, so they can be better people. And they cannot make the mistakes uh, that I made in my career. So this is a show about quarterbacks. You're going to hear from gold jacket quarterbacks. The best that have ever done it, that are in the Hall of Fame and can look back on their career and say, this was the good stuff, this was the bad stuff, here's what I can teach you from it all, and here's where I'm at now. We're also going to hear from the young studs. Uh, I think the state of quarterbacking is as good as it's ever been. You have 20 guys right now that are stars in the NFL uh, that match up down the line with some of the all-time greats. I think you're going to see multiple Hall Hall of Famers come out of this current quarterback class guess what there's more coming i've been the elite 11 head coach the best quarterback camp in the country for the last 10 years and i can tell you what's in the pipeline we look at 700 high school quarterbacks a year and every year there's about 50 that were like huh if everything goes right for this kid if he gets developed right that kid can play in the nfl guess what the coaches are getting smarter so you're going to see more production from the quarterback position. The game's getting safer. They're going to get hurt less. So the state of quarterbacking is as good as it's ever been. I'm really excited about this show. I think it's great for the audience because you will come away with it hearing great stuff from guys you've admired over the years or you love watching them play now. Uh, and you'll also learn stuff from guys that you're watching play the game right now. I go, holy smokes, that guy's incredible. I didn't know he was a three-sport athlete in high school. I didn't know he had pain in his career, too. All the mainstream media tells me is all the good stuff. I think our first guest is the perfect guest because, one, he's one of my heroes. I only had one poster of a quarterback growing up on my wall my entire time is Troy Aikman. I had a Sports Illustrated cover framed and on my wall. He was the guy to me. I actually grew up admiring Roger Staubach, but then when Troy took over, I said, wow, that's Roger in the modern-day body. And I think Troy Aikman to this day should be on the list of top five guys that ever played the position. He played an offense that didn't let him thrive, so he didn't throw for 5,000 yards. But the guy's a champion. Three Super Bowls, won at every level I ever played in, uh, got people around him to play better than their ability, uh, the ultimate leader. Uh, and in, if he would have played in one of those offenses that spit it all around the yard, I think he would have been one of the more productive guys to ever play the game as well. I'll tell you this. You talk to defensive players from his era, and they will tell you he's one of the most feared players they ever played against. So I couldn't be more excited to welcome our first ever guest, guest a dear friend of mine and one of my heroes, Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman, thank you so much for being part of the Beyond the Nexus Nose podcast. Uh, I'm excited. Personally, uh, I don't say this very often, but you're one of my heroes. Uh, Not just how you played the game, but how you conduct yourself. Uh, I think you've always been somebody that all all the younger quarterbacks can look look up to, and um, you've modeled the way to do it on the field and off the field. So that's really the heart of this show, is to share with young people kind of your journey, uh, the lessons learned on it, uh, the ups and downs, and, and give some sage advice to a younger generation of quarterback and fan 
uh, that really may not know some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. So I want to start every show this way. I want you to think about and try to create a, a picture for the audience of your first high school start. So this isn't just like what it felt like game night, but the nerves going on inside of you, all the things that went on with that first high school start, and then segue into the first touchdown pass you ever threw. I want the, the audience to really get a feel for what that felt like for you. Well, uh, Trent, first of all, thank you for having me on, and thank you for the uh, kind comments. Uh, means a lot. I've always thought the world of you as well. Um, you know, in, in Henrietta, Oklahoma, where, uh, where I played uh, high school ball as a freshman, it's not always this way everywhere else, but in Henrietta, a freshman team had their, their own team. So there was, a, there was a ninth grade team, and then varsity was uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th. And so, first of all, when I was in ninth grade, I got brought up for a varsity game as the backup quarterback. And I, rem I remember how nervous I was for that, uh, you know, playing with these guys that are so much older. I was just praying that the quarterback didn't get hurt and I had to play. I, mean, I was just like, please don't get hurt. And uh, I had to have one of the varsity players help me with my pads to put my uh, thigh pads in my pants. I mean, I was a total mess. And uh, so then the following year, Thank God the quarterback didn't get hurt, so I didn't play. And uh, the following year, then, I was the starter, uh, won the job as a sophomore. I was a young kid. I was 14 years old as a sophomore in high school. And uh, that start was against Shakota, Oklahoma, on the road. And for those that aren't familiar with Shakota, uh, that's where Kerry Underwood is from. And it's about 13 miles outside of Henrietta. And so that was my, my first game. I, I was still not as nervous as my freshman year, but that was a big thing to be playing the, for the first time uh, with and against players that were a year or two years older than, than I was. And uh, I wouldn't say that – I remember the game very vividly. I wouldn't say it was a great game for me. I, I believe we won like 14-7 or something. I did have a touchdown pass, and so uh, that was pretty exciting. And just – just playing under the lights for the first time, uh, we were not a powerhouse in high school by any means. And uh, there had not been much success at the high school level at my school. So there wasn't a lot of expectations. But we did win the game, and uh, we had a decent year. And it was the start of uh, a really magical time for me. I look back on my high school years, and I don't know about you, but I loved high school. I loved high school football. I loved basketball, baseball. I loved going to school. I loved everything about high school. And when we graduated, Trent, my best friend, who's still my best friend to this day, he and I cried our eyes out the night of graduation. No one else did. None of the girls, nobody else was crying except he and I. So my experiences in high school were, were, were really enjoyable. I loved them. Oh, I love it. I want to dive into two things. First of all, how tall were you and how much did you weigh that first start your sophomore year? Because there's a lot of kids out there that think, oh, I'm too small. I'm not strong enough. I don't weigh enough. And they don't realize, what did you play at, 6'4", 230-ish? Am I, am I close there? I was 6'4", as a sophomore. I, I My growing was over with. I was 6'4", but I was 175 pounds. I, mean, I was a pretty <laughs> skinny dude. Uh, yeah, so... You know, I started to fill out really uh, once I got to college. I was probably about 190 when I graduated from high school uh, and then started putting on some weight, which is kind of typical. Uh, you start to fill out as a man. But, uh, yeah, pretty skinny. I, but I will say that even at that weight, 175, 180 pounds, uh, I was the second. The only person on the team who was bigger than I was was my left tackle. And he was about the same size. So, I was bigger than the center, the two guards, and the right tackle, and uh, you know, so which came in handy because we didn't block them up all that well either. <laughs> I had, I had a similar experience in high school too. The other thing too that I think young people need to hear, and I'm hoping a lot of young people uh, watch this, is you were nervous. In fact, is it fair to say you're probably scared? I don't want to use that word like like scared, scared, but you were anxious. And I mean, I remember I was so nervous my first start, so scared I couldn't communicate the play in the huddle. Like I couldn't talk. 
my heart rate was so high. And I think some of these young people think, oh, I can't do this because I don't have the poise to do it. Let's not forget, audience, Troy has been in multiple Pro Bowls, won multiple Super Bowls, is a Hall of Fame quarterback, competed, in my opinion, one of the top five players that's ever played the game, and yet as a sophomore in high school, uh, has severe nerves getting ready for his first high school start. So thanks for sharing that. I, I think another cool thing, too, the, about our journey as quarterbacks, and I, I want to dig into that, is how much did you grow from a emotional standpoint, from that first start, your sophomore year, all the way, say, to the end of your sophomore year? Um, well, I think that what happens, and, and I think kids that are listening to this, others that are listening, I think that whether it's an athletic endeavor or anything else uh, that you have expectations for yourself, yes, there are nerves, as you certainly know, Trent. Uh, as, as I went through that sophomore year, uh, I began to settle in and and then not be as as nervous uh, slash as scared, you know, like you mentioned. But throughout my, <clears throat> I only really experienced it in football, uh, more so than in basketball and baseball. That the butterflies and I mean it was it was constant and. Uh, I can't recall ever playing in a football game where I didn't have a lot of nerves <clears throat> and a lot of butterflies going in. And, uh, you know, it was not a good feeling. You know, I hated it. And uh, I always kind of thought, man, I wish there was a way to eliminate this uneasy feeling. I think you kind of learn as you in, as you deal with that, you kind of embrace it and just accept it because you come to the realization that the butterflies don't last forever. Uh, they usually go away as soon as you get out onto the field and take the first snap or so. And so it just becomes a part of your pregame ritual, uh, if you will. It, uh, the, the nervousness began to subside, but the butterflies and the anxiousness, that, went, that was with me through high school, college, uh, and 12 years in the NFL. Yeah, were you a guy that liked to throw a ball early or get hit early in a game as a quarterback? I uh, I liked yeah, I, I, I was never one who kind of needed to be hit. I I wanted to complete a pass, you know. So um, throwing the ball was fine. I, I I said it from as far back as I can remember playing that, uh, and I think it's it's what most quarterbacks feel and say is. Just let me just give me an easy one, you know, out of the gate, so I can just complete a pass and try to find some kind of rhythm, uh, because I do think that that's important uh, to kind of hit your stride, as opposed to coming out and then attempting some some uh, lower percentage passes and and feeling like you're struggling. The other part of that trend that I realized is I don't know how it was for you, but for me, when I would go through pregame warmups, uh, I learned that there was no correlation to how well or how poorly I did in pregame warmups as to how my game was going to go, you know, because I had warmups to where I was just on fire and felt like I was in a total zone. And then I'd go out and I had terrible games at times. And there were other times when I just never felt quite comfortable in pregame warmups. My footwork seemed off, my arm action was off and I wasn't as accurate with the ball and then I went out and just lit it up. So I, I, which was, which was good. So, so what I would say to young kids that play, high school kids and college who's listening to this, that, you know, just try to don't get too caught up in however your warm up goes into thinking that man, I'm really struggling and just not feeling it. That that's going to carry over necessarily into the ball game. No doubt. I'm so glad you said. Nobody cares about my career, but I remember almost. Jeff Tedford almost didn't let me on the field after pregame against Wyoming one year. I think it was my junior year, and I think I completed my first 21 passes of the game. But it couldn't hit anything in pregame warms. I had never seen him so mad at me. So, yes, so true there. You know, you mentioned basketball and baseball. I am such a believer in the multi-sport athlete. It is getting harder. I will say this. Some of us idealistic people that played three and four sports in high school want all these high school kids to do it. They just can't do it anymore because of demands on some of their sports. But 
what what was the value of being a multi-sport athlete and how did that carry over into your obviously great high school career and then into your college career? well such a great question Trent and I am asked that question a lot by parents and I know you are as well and I'm like you uh, as a three-sport athlete growing up all through high school uh, I, I'm an advocate for kids playing as many sports as they can play and you're right it's gotten a lot more challenging I think that kids kind of have to almost out of necessity make a decision in high school, uh, whereas we didn't necessarily have to do that. But I will tell you my experience. When when I got to ninth grade, my my favorite sport was baseball. I always thought that I was going to go on and play collegiately and, and hopefully professionally in baseball and probably would have had my family had not moved from California to Oklahoma. I played with a number of guys who went on to play collegiately and some of which went on to play professionally and had nice careers. Um, but when we moved to Oklahoma, so my freshman year, my intentions were to just play basketball, to stay in shape in the winter, and then play spring baseball and not play football. Uh, football of the three was probably my least favorite. And so uh, I was going to give that up. And then my dad's favorite sport was football. And he came in one day uh, and just asked me, hey, are you going to sign up for football? And I just didn't have it in me to tell him that I just was not going to play. And so I, I, I played. And, and had, had I have made the decision or had I have been forced to make a decision or told by a coach, hey, look, you have to be a one-sport athlete, I wouldn't have played football in high school. I would have just played baseball. And, uh, and so being able to continue to play three sports – is why I went on to play college football and then play in the NFL. My career, my life would have been, you know, much different. So I think to try to determine as a young athlete, now some athletes just know this is, this is absolutely 100% it, but, but I would much rather the athlete be the one who decides that as opposed to a coach or an adult kind of putting pressure on, on that kid to make that decision. Because I do think, you know, one of the things they do in Dallas, Trent, at this high school where Matthew Stafford went, was they they make every kid gets to play all the way through middle school, and and they rotate the quarterbacks every series. You know, Matthew Stafford, I'm sure, went through the same thing, and the reason that they do it is because they don't know which kid's going to develop uh, by the time they get to high school, and so they don't predetermine who are the best players. They give everybody an opportunity, and it's paid huge dividends for this high school when the kids get to high school. And they've had a tremendous amount of success there. Won a number of state titles. Uh, Stafford won, won one as well um, there because of the way that they've developed these kids. Obviously, you are a very recruited athlete. So talk to me about your first scholarship offer and kind of briefly just that journey of being recruited. And back then, this is what, if my year's right, I was 90 or 86. Is this 86 84. Yep. 84. Well, you look so good for being so old. Uh, uh, talk to me about what that recruiting process looked like in that first offer. Well, I remember, uh, I know you do too. I remember when, when, you, get, when you first start getting those letters uh, in the mm -hmm. mail and you see University of Oklahoma, you know, or Southern Cal or, you know, whoever it is. And man, you're just like, oh God, it's like, it's like the greatest day ever. And and then it progresses into uh, taking some of these recruiting trips. And I was not heavily recruited uh, coming out of high school. You're allowed, I believe at the time, maybe it's the same, same five recruiting trips. And, and I, had, uh, I had five scheduled. And, and I had, that was all I could have scheduled because that was the only ones that asked me to come. And Arkansas was my first visit. Uh, but Lou Holtz left about two weeks, three weeks before my visit, and Ken Hatfield was hired, and he was bringing the wishbone offense. And he called me up and said, I'm sorry, but we just don't think you fit our plans. And, and I've always appreciated that. Uh, we played Arkansas in the Cotton Bowl when I was at UCLA. Hatfield was still the head coach. I told him, I said, you probably don't even remember calling me that day, but I, re I, I really appreciate how honest you were. And so I had four recruiting trips, Tennessee, Missouri, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and to, I, I loved it I loved everything about the process and that's what I tell kids when they are being recruited I said just make sure 
It sounds so cliche, but just make sure you enjoy every single day of this process because it is one of the best times of your life, especially if you've worked so hard and you want this, uh, this you want to realize this dream that you have to go on and play collegiately. The experience of being recruited is, uh, is really awesome, and it was for me. Um, and, and I won't bore you with all the details of the recruiting, but I ended up deciding to go to Oklahoma. And, and it was when I remember when I signed that letter of intent, uh, I just felt like it was kind of the, the first or second step. Maybe the first step was becoming the starter as a varsity player in high school. The next step, hoping to go on and get an opportunity to play collegiately and to have that uh, become a realization for me was, uh, was a day. I, I actually signed my letter of intent. I was 17 years old and I had chicken pox. It's a day I'll never forget. I mean, I was, I was really sick when I signed that letter of intent. It, w- it was probably a precursor. Should have alerted me that Oklahoma wasn't the place that I needed to be going. <laughs> and, Omen, um, well, that's a great place to jump off to our first bra- break. When we get back with Hall of Fame quarterback Troy Aikman, we'll talk about that college experience that started at Oklahoma and ended up at UCLA. Hi, football fans. Trent Dilfer here to tell you that NFLSundayTicket.tv is like having front row seats to every live out-of-market game every Sunday afternoon, no matter where you live. That's a lot of football. And guess what? This season, you get even more football than ever before. 18 weeks of NFL glory right there in your front room. Stream to your favorite device. Just picture it. You put your feet up, kick back, eat snacks. Oh, yeah and stream an insane amount of football. So make your seat a front row seat and catch every second of your favorite players and your favorite teams every Sunday afternoon. To see if you are eligible, go online to nflsundayticket.tv slash sundayready and stream every NFL Sunday Ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code DILFER2021 at checkout to save 15%. Exclusive student discounts also available. My life is nuts. Whether I'm coaching high school football on Friday nights, watching college quarterbacks on Saturday, or watching NFL guys rip dimes on Sunday, I am always needing that extra shot of energy, and I live on this triple shot. Starbucks triple shot energy, extra strength coffee beverage in a can. That's Starbucks coffee that you love, ready to drink. Four core flavors, vanilla, dark roast, cafe mocha, and now available in two zero sugar flavors, black and vanilla. So what gives you energy? Find your Starbucks triple shot energy online or at your local store. All right. Well, you touched on it, Troy. You go to Oklahoma uh, after signing day, having the chicken pox, probably an omen that that wasn't the spot. You don't have to spend too much time on the Oklahoma experience, but kind of talk to me through that year at Oklahoma and then what ended up sending you out to UCLA, and then we'll eventually talk as long as you want about your great coach at UCLA, the late Terry Donahue, and what he meant in your life. Yeah, so I, I went to Oklahoma. I was redshirting. I was running the scout team practices, and then the, the starter, Danny Bradley, got injured in a game. I didn't think much of it. I didn't even make the trip uh, when he had the injury. Uh, and then the backup quarterback – uh, was ruled there was a he had transferred from junior college and there was a transcript issue and so he got ruled ineligible about the same time and long and short of it is they decided to start me the following week and so here I you know I, welcome to the big time big boy here we go I mean thank you Barry Switzer and so uh, I literally went from running the scout team with no reps of the varsity, you know, of the, of the offense to starting at 17 years old on the road against Kansas. And we were the number two team in the country. And <clears throat> I didn't even really know the plays that well, Trent. And my, my mom and dad drove to the game. They were there. The plan was because Kansas was not very good. The plan was, is that we were just going to run the ball and take it right down the field. And, and, uh, and win the game. You know, we were we had a lot better athletes. They weren't all that good. So we come out. All I did was hand off. We, we get right down inside the five-yard line, and then they stop us, and we have to settle for a field goal. 
But, you know, they they got good coaches, too. So they realized that, hey, this kid's not throwing the ball. You know, all he, all they're going to do is run the ball. And so they started stacking the line. And I we we got they, then they make a play and they go up ahead of us and, and we can't move the ball and we're giving their offense great field position. And, and so we had to start throwing the ball. I had no idea. I mean, literally no idea where I was throwing the football. And it was just drop back and and throw it. I didn't know. I mean, I didn't pick a I didn't know where the receiver was. I mean, uh, Trent, it was a nightmare. I mean, I've never experienced anything like it. I, I, I think I had three interceptions. We lose the game. They tear the goalpost down. I mean, we were number two in the country. I mean, we were a good – our team was good. And I I felt – my that first experience for me in college, it, it demoralizing doesn't even tell you how defeated I was. Um, and I came out of the locker room, and my mom and dad were out there waiting on me. I couldn't even talk to them. I just – I just – I was beside myself. I went and got on the bus, and uh, – I, so now <clears throat> I don't play again the rest of that year. I, the quarterback comes back the following week. Um, I start. I'm the starter as a sophomore, a true sophomore. And then uh, I broke my leg against the University of Miami in the fourth game of the season. And Jamel Holloway, who was a true freshman, he came in off the bench. And we were running the wishbone. It really was not for me. But it was for Jamel, and he played great, wound up being the all uh, big eight at the time, uh, player of the year, and we won the national championship. And so I knew at that point that for me to, to realize my next dream of playing professionally, that it was time for me to leave, and that's when I transferred uh, and went to uh, UCLA. I want to go back on one thing here, and then we'll transition to UCLA, because I do think this is the point of this show, is not just hear great stories from great players, but to learn something from it. So I think there's a lot of players that can resonate with their first opportunity being a colossal failure. And when they go and meet their parents in the parking lot, it's, oh my gosh, do I stink, right? You threw three interceptions, you didn't know where you're throwing the football, you lose to a team you should have smoked, you're the number two team in the country. But what about the the young exec, the young marketing person listening to this? And they have a big sales pitch, their first sales pitch, and they go in and they just verbally vomit and ruin the whole pitch. Like their career isn't, open, isn't over. Guys, this is Troy Aikman, Hall of Famer, multiple Super Bowl winner. Like they're every highly successful person has these tremendous setbacks. I try not to use the word failure. We call them temporary setbacks. But these setbacks where you have to take self-inventory, you have to dig dig deep inside. Obviously, you got to tap into that personal reservoir again and again and again and find something deep inside of you. i got to believe the rest of that year you had to pick yourself up off the ground. And then that offseason. Right, you had the whole off season where you had to face that, and then you were the starter your sophomore year before you broke your leg. So, just talk a little bit, real quick, before we go into UCLA about those moments of doubt and maybe your self talk that pulled you out of that in order to be the starter the next year and play those games before you broke your ankle or broke your leg. Uh, Trent, that's such a great point. Um, that that what what we see what we see of successful people whatever their field is we only know of their successes and we think that we think it came easier for them not necessarily easy but easier for them than maybe our own struggles and and i i just know as you do that if you're anyone who's had any level of success has had some real tough moments has had dark moments and and so I went through that. I did actually get out onto the field again, not as a starter, but I played in mop-up duty, and I, I, I did pretty well. I mean, I played better, and at least it was, okay, you know, that was, that was better than the start against Kansas, and you slowly start to develop a little bit of confidence. But I think that those setbacks for me, or at least that first start, and my sophomore year, quite honestly, even though I was a starter, I, I, I didn't play great. I mean, I was in an offense that I really shouldn't have been playing in. And it was not, a, it was not a, uh, an easy time then either. But those, those tougher times uh, made me realize that there was just more work to be done, you know, that I had to, I had to be better. 
And, and you're right. Part of that is putting in then the time and the effort and making sure that you're, you're better prepared uh, the next time you do it. But there is a lot of self-talk that's involved in that, right? And, you know, telling yourself that, hey, okay, that's not going to define me. It was a setback. It wasn't good. I wish it had been better. But it's, it, it's not going to determine the outcomes of my future. And so there, there's a high level of, of perseverance that's required, um, you know, athletically, in business, you know, you talked about the example of someone in marketing uh, in life. Uh, I know you've had uh, tremendous heartbreak uh, in life, and it's part of it, you know, at times. And, and, you, and, and I think that how we measure the man or how we measure the individuals or how are you able to persevere through tough times and, uh, and come out the other side, you know, standing and being a better man for it. Amen, brother. All right. So you go to UCLA. You go back to the West Coast. You're one of the greatest Bruins of all time. For the people that don't know, you're still very attached to your alma mater, a big supporter of UCLA football. Uh, I know what you love, what Chip's doing there, how he's turning this thing around. This should be a big year for the Bruins. I think this is the first year he's got his guys. He's got his culture. Uh, this should be a good year for the Bru- Bruins. But talk a little bit about your experience there. And I do want to tee you up. You can take as long as you want. Say whatever you want because we just lost one of the great coaches of all time, one of the great men of all time, your head coach at UCLA, Terry Donahue. So I wind you up. Go. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, I'm a believer, Trent, that, that I don't know that coincidences uh, are, are just random. I, I think that there's a reason why things – happen the way that they do or the reason that people come into your life. And for me, deciding to go to UCLA was was the greatest decision that I've ever made uh, as far as my athletic career and being able to play with some amazing players. But like you said, to be to be able to play for just an amazing person in Terry Donahue and uh, an outstanding coach. But, and he did. He just passed away on the 4th of July. We just had the service for him last Friday. And I don't know of a better man. I mean, I, there's a lot of people who I really respect in life, but there's nobody I've ever held in higher regard than Terry Donahue. He, he lived it every single day uh, in every way. And he just never disappointed, ever. And, uh, and, and, and that was even when people weren't watching him, you know, I mean, he was the, he was the, he was a great father, a great husband, a great friend, a mentor, you know, and all those wonderful things. And for me to have had the opportunity to be around someone like him and, you know, he was my hero, quite honestly. And, you know, he was everything that I've ever wanted to be. And, and, and I've fallen far short, but I know where the bar is. And um, so it, it was a tremendous time for me. UCLA was a great experience. It was, it was awesome academically, uh, but just made some amazing friendships. Uh, and, and those are forged for the rest of my life and won a lot of football games, had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, so, yeah, UCLA is very, very special to me. And I'm hopeful. Uh, I'm hopeful this is the year for Chip, Trent, because <laughs> – it is time. You know, it really is time. And uh, I'm hoping that we have a great year. Yeah, me too. I think you said two things there. Just it made the hair on my arm stand up. I mean, I hope I'm a man one day that somebody could say I didn't disappoint, like you said about Coach. And then what an honor that uh, he was your hero. So I hope his family listens to this. What incredible words. Uh, I know. I mean, you were so honest about it just through social media and and how much he meant to you. So thanks for sharing that. We're going to go to another break. When we come back, I want to hear Troy Aikman's pre-draft process. And then we'll segue into the NFL and some of his experiences. So we'll be right back with Hall of Fame quarterback Troy Aikman. Everyone's favorite time of the year is right around the corner. College football season. To celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly. 
if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. Take advantage of this limited time offer now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any college football game, no matter what. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and daily odds boosts that they are offering. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable. Located right here in the United States, so it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DILFER to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. That's promo code DILFER to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Back with Troy Aikman, he talked to us about how special UCLA was. Now, I want to set the stage here. Pre-draft training now is this multi-million dollar business that's covered. There's TV shows done about it. I mean, you can't get away from it. Really, the Super Bowl ends, and then every show leads the next day, or actually, I should say, they lead the Monday with the Super Bowl talk, and then by that Tuesday, they're on to the draft. And what are they talking about? They're talking about quarterbacks. That was not the case when Troy Aikman was going through his pre-draft process. So quickly, Troy, talk to me a little bit about what it was like for you as you left college and now are getting ready to be the first overall pick in the NFL. Well, it, it was great. Um, you're right. I mean, now these guys, I remember when Matthew Stafford went out uh, of Georgia getting ready for the, the draft, he, w- he moved to Arizona and he trained every day with some w- with guys like you, you know, with the Elite 11 type setups and you know, did uh, all the work in order to get ready and show that he was going to be capable of being the first overall. For for me, none of that was in place. And uh, I, I don't know if it was for you or not, Trent, but yeah, I, I, I didn't do anything. Di- I mean, I just did my regular workout program. I, I didn't, I didn't have anybody. I had no experts, uh, no uh, trainers, no coaches, um, nothing. I'd grab some guys, we'd go out and throw uh, I didn't throw at the combine. Uh, I didn't test in any way physically. I, I showed up and interviewed and took my physical, but that 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 was the extent of it. And uh, yeah, it's changed. You know, I think a lot of decisions. I think a lot of the things that I see. I'd be curious on your perspective. I think even at the kids level, when we're talking about uh, select sports or even what these athletes are going through now, leading up to the draft. To me, it all seems like a moneymaker to the people that are putting those on as opposed to what's in the best interest of the kid, you know? And so I think you play for I, – I was a starter for two years at UCLA. I felt like I showed what I could do, and there's not a lot more I can put out there than what I've already shown you, and either that's enough or it's not. But there wasn't any – I didn't know of anybody. I know – uh Tony Mandrich, the big offensive lineman who was in the draft the same year as me, he moved to L.A. and, and got big as a house, you know, lifting weights at UCLA. But that's he's about the only guy I know who specialized in something. I'm with you, Troy. I think the truth is still in the tape. I think there's more mistakes made now at the quarterback position. In fact, maybe all positions because there's too much exposure. People lose sight of what actually happened between the lines in college and who they're playing against. And they fall in love with the underwear Olympics and all this stuff that goes on in the pre-draft process. So I'm with you. I think it's uh, it's probably not always in the best interest of the player. So, all right, draft. Now, remind me, I think it was draft morning back in our day, right? The first round was in the morning, correct? So, because I think I woke up thinking I was going to the Redskins, thinking I was going to play for your old coach, North Turner, and I'll get to my connective tissue there later with Norv and yourself, but it was the morning. So talk to me about waking up that morning. Did you know you were going to the Cowboys? Like what was the experience? Yeah. So uh, it it was unique. And what you see now, when you watch the draft, there's 15, 20 guys that are expected to be in the first round that are there. Uh, And it's a big show, right? And NFL network is covering it and all that. 
when I came out, the only way there'd only been a couple players ever that had been in New York for the draft. And that was only if you were the number one overall pick and you were already signed. And so Jerry Jones bought the Cowboys just a couple of months prior to the draft. And I was signed Trent two days, two days before the draft, I had signed my contract. So I was in New York and I was announced and I was brought out on stage. And that was a, that was a pretty meaningful draft for me, of course, because I was the number one overall, but that was also the last year that, that, uh, Pete Rosell presided over the first round. And so he was out there when I walked out, I took my picture with him. And then after that draft, he was, he retired as the commissioner. And then that's when Paul Tagliabue took over. So I was the last player to be on stage with Pete Rosell. Um, and yes, knew I was going to Dallas. I, after I signed, I, I mean, after I got walked out onto the stage to announce the number one overall pick, I, I went up to my hotel room and watched the rest of the draft on TV, you know, by myself. I was just, there was, no, there was nobody, you know, no, where is everybody? Where is everybody? Hey, when we won our first Super Bowl in Pasadena, there was no cell phones back then. You know, people didn't have cell phones. I lost track of all my teammates and my family. I was by myself again after that game. I mean, I think what the heck is going on here? So it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a story of my life, kind of being by myself, but <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we can different experience back then in the uh, for the draft. Yeah, we can touch on the being by yourself thing here at the end of the show. But tell me this, just for fun, what's the first thing you bought when you had that real money? Uh, I bought my mom a house um, and moved her to Dallas. Is 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 what I did, and uh, I say the first thing. I mean, it was it was it was months later. It wasn't right away. Yeah, but that's the first big thing. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought I was the richest guy, and I thought I was Jeff Bezos back in 1989 when I signed that contract. I mean, it's not. It was not. It was a. It was a lot of money, but it, you know, I never wanted to be that guy who said, "Man, back when I signed, here's all I played for." I mean, I, it was real money, but it wasn't the forty million a year that uh, Dak Prescott just signed. I know that. That's incredible. All right, so there's a lot of people are gonna be like, "Oh, Troy Aikman, first pick of the draft. It must have been rainbows and rose petals." Uh, now uh, we know differently. O and eleven, correct? Your rookie year, at so at one point, uh, and you don't have to dig deep into the weeds there, but just briefly, like how low are some of the lows? Uh, pretty low. I mean, I just there there were there were times when I just did not play well enough for us to win. But there were also were times, uh, a couple times where I play I did play well enough for us to win, and we and we didn't. And I just I just know uh, I walked off the field so many times, going, man, what do you got to do to win a football game in this league? I mean, it was just heartbreak uh, after heartbreak. And, uh, you know, you talk about some soul searching and, and, you know, how you overcome it. I, that, that rookie year for me was that, uh, a lot of physical punishment for me and trying to figure out, gosh, I mean, we surely, uh, there's a way to win a game. And I was finally able to do that in my, my second year, but yeah, it was tough Trent. And, uh, fortunately I never lost my confidence. I, I had, I had a good support group that helped with that as well. Yeah, you did both off the field and on the field. That's per man. You know where I'm going here. I really want to dive into this idea, um, this topic of leadership, but I want to do a little bit different. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about how you would define leadership and especially how you grew as a leader. And then what being a team captain meant to you uh, in that process. So one kind of just touch on how you articulate leadership. Now you look back on it from a different lens and then just this idea of captaincy, captaincy and what that meant to you. Yeah, I think, uh, I think part of being a leader, uh, and there's a lot of different styles, uh, but I think being an effective leader requires you to take into consideration the interests and needs of the people that you're trying to lead. And I, I believe mm -hmm. that you have to do it authentically, and, and you have to uh, do it in a way this is my style and this is what I believe because I know how I, when I, you know, I also, for everyone who, who has to lead, there are also times when that same person has to follow, you know? And so yeah. I know that I'm a much better follower 
when I'm following someone who I really respect and I like the way that they do it, I respect the way that they do it. And I know that they're not only doing it for themselves, they're doing it for the good of the group. And so the way that I try to lead, I try to lead by example, because I think that even no matter how good of a talker you are, uh, how eloquent you are, if you don't show it through your actions, I don't think it's effective. So th there's a reason why the better players are the better leaders, because I think people are drawn to people who are productive. And so I'd say that's number one. I always say that that in order for me to be effective, I have to know, it's one thing to say, hey, we're all doing this for the group. But within the group, these individuals do have individual goals. You know, there are things that they want to be able to say that they've accomplished. And if they accomplish it, and enough of these people accomplish their individual goals, then as a group, we achieve the things that we want to as a team. So I always tried, uh, to make sure the players, those I played with in business, uh, people who have worked for me in business, I try to make them understand that I, I, I get where they are, what they want to have happen. They want to move up. They want promotions. They, they want to feel like they're contributing and have some self-esteem. And, and, and I think that a lot of, you know, just simply putting your arm around somebody and saying, hey, I learned this from Jimmy Johnson. I think putting your arm around somebody and saying, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm really proud of the way that you're playing or the job that you're doing. And even in a, uh, you know, there's people who maybe didn't play quarterback or haven't owned a business, uh, but are in a family or are fathers or whatever. And I think that even if you're a young kid, if you're a varsity player, you're a college player, that, that, there's always some, there's always people who are looking up to you. And so I know that when I go put my arm around my girls and tell them how proud I am of, of something that they've accomplished, they light up and it just makes the dynamic of family better. And that's the approach that I've had. I've tried to have as an athlete and that I've tried to have uh, in business as well. Brilliant. I do want to be respectful of your time, but you led me right where I want to end up being talking about being a dad of daughters. I do want to tell two quick stories of how your leadership impacted me. Alvin Harper left you, came to the Bucks. I'm in a low point of my career. Alvin Harper, who was kind of a knucklehead when you had him, but he pulled me aside and he taught me some leadership principles that you had used with him. So you were able to influence me through how you treated Alvin Harper when he came to me at the Bucks. And the last one I'll hit on real quick, I'm in a meeting room with Norv Turner, Alex Smith, myself, Sean Hill, Jesse Palmer. And Norv took an entire night meeting, and all he did was talk about your leadership style. And he basically said what you just said right there. And it transformed all of us because you have an idea of what you might think leadership is, but then to hear your coach just gush over how you led authentically and differently for each person. I know changed me as a leader, and I know Alex still to this day remembers that, and those other quarterbacks remember that as well. Our last few minutes, because I want to be respectful of your time, to me it's the my, my favorite thing about you, uh, even though you're the only person in the history of my life I've ever had a poster of on my wall, but that's a different story. Um, your commitment as a dad to your daughters and how you embrace this dad of daughters thing and how you've just laid down so much of your life to be with them. Just briefly, as long as you want, talk to me and, and the audience just about um, that journey as a father. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll try not to get emotional. I, I, I'm not sure why, but uh, whenever, whenever I talk about them, it, it becomes a hard thing for me. Um, I, I, I tend to get very emotional when I, when I talk about my girls, but, um, you know, we, we've been through quite a journey, uh, together and I, I was a single dad, uh, raising them and, and I, I did a lot of reading in the process as to, as to how to, to best do that. And what, what I learned was the girls, so I don't, I, so I have two daughters. Uh, I have no interest in having more children, but if I did, 
I'd want more girls. Um, and I'm sure mm-hmm. boys are great. And, and I'd love a son if I had him, if I had one. But I know what that dad-daughter relationship is all about, as do you. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. And so for me, I've just tried to live uh, a life and treat them in a way that will then impact their expectations of how they're going to be treated when when they meet their future husband or when they get married. And 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 they do. <clears throat> Girls get their cues, get their self confidence, and and learn what they should uh, expect by the way and how and how they were treated by their dads. And so. I remember early on when my girls were young. My girls are 11 months apart. They're Irish twins, and so they're really, really close. And 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 they're they're beautiful girls. They're very different personality-wise. My young, I'd always go and open up their door. And my my youngest daughter, Allie, when she was about six years old, it became a game with her. Like she would race me to the car, and she wanted to open up her own door. And I'd say no, 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 no. And she would run over there, and she'd be giggling. She wanted to do it, and I had to. I said, Allie. Listen, I said, Dad opens your door, okay? That's the way it works, and that's the way it's always going to work. I still open their doors to this day. And I said, in one day, you're going to date somebody, and just know he's, he's, he better open your door, you know, or I don't want you dating him. Because, you know, we've kind of lost that a little bit. And, and I still think, you know, women are amazing. They can do amazing things, and they can run companies and all those things that men can do. But I think there's, there is a difference in the sexes. And I like that. And I want, as a man, I want I want my daughters to be treated as ladies. Um, and so um, they're awesome. My youngest just graduated from high school, and so I'm I'm going into a new stage of life, a new phase. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna miss them tremendously. But uh, thank you for bringing them up, and uh, they've been awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you understand what you just got. Uh, you just got gold dust. One of the greatest players in the history of the NFL, one of the greatest broadcasters in the history of the NFL, uh, a great dad, a great man. Uh, I've gone from talking about this word leadership to influencer, and Troy, I want you to know you've influenced me personally as much as anybody. I admire you, and as you felt Coach Donahue was your hero, I want you to know you're a hero of mine. I'm humbled and honored that you came on the show uh, I hope people can really take to heart the things you shared. Uh, it was amazing. So thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your influence. And thank you for doing the show. Appreciate thank you, buddy. Thank you, Trent. Thank you, pal. Thank you for everything. Appreciate you. Well, the next episode is one of the young bucks that I personally admire a ton. I think he's going to be a rock star one day in the NFL. Already put up big numbers. Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback Gardner Minshew. All of that and more coming up on Beyond the X's and O's.